What was his first reaction? Frustration, yeah. So he told his first mate to do what? Yeah, get out of the way. And that lighthouse in that story, I mean, the full, I didn't tell you everything of that, but it just reminds me that we'll argue with authority that he told his first mate, send a message, change your direction, starboard side 20 degrees. There went the message out, and he'd come back and said, the message came back and said, you change your direction 20 degrees. He said, send the next message. Change your direction 20 degrees. I'm a captain. Back came the message. You change your direction 20 degrees, I'm a seaman first class, which means he's about like a private compared to a general. Now the captain's really irritated. You send me back the final message. Change your direction 20 degrees, starboard side, we're a battleship. Back came that message, what you guys said. You change your direction 20 degrees, I'm still a seaman first class, and I'm operating a lighthouse. <laughs> captain changed his mind and said, we're going to change direction. Uh, two things I get of that story. The authority, at least that captain, thought, I don't have to do what anybody tells me to do. The lighthouse to me in that story represents God. God will tell us what to do. It's like, God, who are you? Wow. <laughs> Almighty God that can breathe and things can come into existence and they can be gone and we're going to argue with him. Ooh. Jonathan Edwards, a famous author years ago, Sinners in the hands of an angry God. He would preach that and people would just get scared to death and get saved. I don't know if we scare you into getting saved. I just wish you'd listen to the lighthouse, so to speak, tonight. And the thing about it is, when the captain got into shore that day, he was almost aggravated, adamant at that guy that, you know, until he realized it was a lighthouse. But by the way, who was guiding him around in the fog that day? The lighthouse. He's mad at the person that was giving directions, but actually been helping him all day. Jesus is a lighthouse. Hmm. Tonight, I just pray that you'd have a fun time in chapel, but man, as, I, as the week grows closer to an end, I get a little bit like, Lord, what, what can I tell them That'll, so they'll experience you? Okay, here we go. This is Senior High Week, Tapa Wingo, June 2009. It'll never be repeated. Our theme is Lost and Found, and I get to be your host speaker, Edgar Moser. I don't know if you remember much, but uh, I could quiz you on the next thing. Here's a question for you. What would you do if something suddenly was lost or gone? What would you do? Don't worry, don't so, um, don't worry about it. Somebody else? Look for it. What else? Replace it. Replace it. My question would be, what do we lose? Because if I came and go, oh, we've lost the peanut butter. You know, if that was in the kitchen in there, I would probably say, don't worry about it. We'll buy another jar. No big deal. If we say, we've lost Grandma's heart medicine. We've lost Grandma's heart medicine and she needs it. Or if you're on a family trip and your brother's an active young man and we've lost his Ritalin, I have a feeling we'll probably look for it. Rather than go, no big deal. Well, he's on top of the car right now on the interstate, so I just thought we better find it pretty soon. It's like, so it's going on what you lose. What would you do if something was gone? Here's what some of you, would you, and some of you answer this. Would you worry about it or think about it some? Second thing, some of you would. We're going to take a poll tonight. Some of you would worry because some of you are constantly worried about stuff. Oh, I wonder if it's going to rain tomorrow. It really doesn't make any difference. I mean, see, that's something I don't worry about. I don't control the weather and we worry. Would you go look for it? Some, yeah. Mom lost her car key. She's got another set. Well, let me see if I can help you find it. Doesn't it irritate you as you're sitting there in the living room and somebody comes in? I can't find and just fill in the blank. Well, are you going to help me look for it? You just keep on doing it. 
Doesn't it encourage you when somebody says, let me stop what I'm doing and help you look for your... Yeah, sure, you want them to help you look for it. Would you go look for it? Number three. Some of you are not too concerned too much. Of course, y'all don't get concerned too much about anything. You're going to have to make a 90 on your final exam to pass this class. Okay, that, you realize you're going to go to summer school if you don't pass? Summer school. Nothing worries. Summer school's fun to some. Okay. <laughs> Would you pray and encourage others and say, just like you did for Tiffany today, something's wrong. What are you going to do? I'm not going to worry. Well, maybe I should go and investigate. Maybe no, I'm going to pray. Here's a real good thought. Keep doing what you always do. After all, it's not your problem. A woman was uh, attacked in New York City. Remember that story years ago? And a guy in the apartment heard the screams and thought it's... He looks out and this woman's being smacked down on the ground. She's screaming an attacker. Matter of fact, not just him, though. Everybody in that apartment building. Guess what they did? Pulled the shades back in. They didn't want to get involved. When she first started screaming, the attacker ran off. Somebody who should have went and helped her. Called 911 do something. Since nobody helped her, guess what the attacker did? Came back and killed her. But they didn't want to get involved. Wow. I guess they, E would be their life story. If something's so evident right in front of you and happens so clearly, again, what would you do if something was suddenly lost or gone? Looks like a uh, long time ago in the cosmos. Can you imagine what life began like? something was gone or missing, you still think you wouldn't think it's a big deal? So if you look around in chapel and all of us are gone except you and maybe a couple other people, it's still no big deal? The Bible says we're going to be raptured away one day. We're going to be gone in the twinkling of an eye, 11 one-hundredths of a second. Lightning's going to 
and we'll all be, that are saved, will be gone. And the world will look around and go, no big deal. I'm glad that Edgar's gone. Man, he used to get on my nerves anyway. They'll discount you and me. That guy's a Christian. All he ever talked about is Jesus. I'm glad he's gone. Church is easier to get into now. Parking lot's not quite as full as it used to be. Bible study's slim, but anyway, we're still okay. Strange things, there will be preachers still in some churches. You know, the social clubs, are not really a church. They're just sort of like a country club. You know, people show up and talk about the latest events and go home. There's a church in Roanoke that discusses different religions every week. It's amazing. It's almost like... And if you went in and said, guys, you can't be Buddhist and Muslim and all those things at the same time. And they said, well, listen, you need to be a little bit more... What was that third sin that Solomon had? You need to be a little bit more tolerant. I said, well, I'm a Christian. We don't like y'all. <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be tolerant. You guys aren't tolerant to me. Well, we're tolerant to everybody but Christians. Okay. Uh, I think they call that prejudice. Hmm. Okay. I don't even know if you remember it this morning. I'm going to check your memory out. What was the story about this morning? The sheep. Good, exactly. Here we go. We looked at three things lost this morning. Three things that were found this morning. They were in Luke chapter 15. Sheep are the first things. And I remind you that Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd in John 10. I will come after you. I will climb down over the bank and get you. Him that cometh to me, I will in no way cast away. I'll come get you. Sheep. We're just sort of like lambs. There was a coin that was found. Pretty valuable. And then the third one was the son. Exactly. I would ask if you've ever heard that story before, and most of you would say, well, of course, you talked about it this morning. But before I ever said anything, anybody ever heard about the prodigal son? I'm going to give you a different slant on it tonight. I'm going to look at the other son. I never heard of that. Okay. And I might be wrong, you know. I'm going to tell you a side of this story that you've never seen before. How'd you get it? I'm just going to show you the other son because I think that all three of us are in this story. We mean all three of us. Well, there's three different kinds of people in this room. There are some people like the father who was so concerned, loved his son and just cared for them. That would be like the Christians that just seem like they look out for a lot of other people. And then there's the son that took off and rebelled, but he came back home. That's the one they were, oh, the prodigal son, I got it. He ran off and he came back home. That's like some of you this week. You've made a decision to rededicate yourself to the Lord. And you say, I've been away. I've, I've been letting go sins this week and I know I shouldn't be doing. You're sort of like that. But then there's another guy that's his second son that maybe is some of you that, wow. Let me tell you a little bit about him see if you want to be like him. We're going to see the second son. How do you feel when something is found? Remember I told you how you feel when it's lost? How do you feel? Pretty good? Check out these stories, I mean these little answers. An example to consider. When something's lost and it's found, if your best friend won a contest, that is they found first place. They found money. How would you feel if your friend won a contest? Would you feel pretty good for him? Okay. Y'all guys are okay then. How about this one? Your best friend makes a football team. You don't. Okay. See, that wouldn't bother some of you. I, I taught two people. I can, they come to mind right now. I had them in driver's ed. This one girl, her name was Caitlin. And I remember she had a good friend. Those friends would just hang together and they were in the band and one of them tried out to be a squad leader and made it and the other one didn't. And suddenly they don't talk as much as they used to. And Caitlin come to me that way. I think she's mad at me. In other words, she's what we would call jealous. Okay. The Bible says rejoice with those that rejoice, mourn with those that mourn. In other words, be like me. But to do that, you almost have to have a, a heart. See, if Apostle Paul 
Uncle Paul, excuse me, they're so much alike. If Uncle Paul came in and said, Edgar, something's really on my heart, and he's almost weeping, I would probably find myself weeping and I don't know the problem yet. I can instantly feel like his heart. About the last one. If someone gets attention, you don't. I was a baby boy out of five boys, so I sort of got attention, I think. If you're the oldest, you get a lot of attention. You're the first baby. If you're the last, you get a lot of attention because you're the, the baby of the family. My brother Dennis was stuck in the middle. He sometimes felt like, you know, because the newness was wore off. Stephen Curtis Chapman told us this little story one time when he was in concert. He said when Emily was born, she'd cry. We'd run to see what was the matter. He said then Caleb comes along, you run a little bit slower to see. He said by the time Will Franklin come along, we just never even went and checked. He said if the crying went into the second hour, we usually went and checked on the boys to see what was wrong. But outside of that, hey, he was sort of joking, but what he meant, no big deal. Well, five boys, I got attention that some of the rest of them didn't. That's why they hit me in the head with the jack. That's another story, though. Okay. Seeing the second sign, would you look in Luke chapter 15? Check out these facts from the story. We're finally here. And by the way, if the rapture occurs and the big lightning bolt goes, somebody get the lights because I won't be here anymore. Just kidding. All right. Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to, have, to hear him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law were muttering under their breath. Remember this, this man welcomes sinners. Ooh. Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Give me that first word. We can all say it together. You ready? Rejoice. Wow. Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. They're out there, all shepherds, giving high fives in the field. Yeah, I found him over the bank. Barney, yeah, you know him. He falls over the bank and everything. Break his leg. I broke all four of them. I mean, it's like he drags himself over the cliff now. I mean, it's just like poor old Barney. I've got him wrapped around my neck, and he still had not learned too well. By the way, if you missed this morning's lessons, you don't even know what we're talking about. But anyway, when he finds it, he rejoices. Yeah! And I tell you, in the same way, there's more what? Uh, wait a minute, give me that word first. Rejoicing. Rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous. I'm here to tell you right now, when someone makes a decision for Jesus and they get excited, the angels up there in heaven, some of you wouldn't want to be there because you'd feel out of place. Why? They're happy. Man, we all dancing for. Somebody got saved. Ooh. The angels rejoice. Here's the next one. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light the lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, What? Rejoice with me. I've lost, I found my lost coin. Great. In the same way, I'll tell you, there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over in the one sinner who repents. By the way, I'm going to stop just a second. I won't preach too bad. See, planting this church, I get... Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to hammer your church. I don't even know what church you go to. But see if you will just smile and say, you know what, I know what kind of church it is because I go. No, you don't do that, but just pretend. Who do you think some of the churches in America today, who's their main emphasis, 99 or 1? 99. I used to go to a church. Used to. Used to go to a church, and I started showing a movie once a month. I thought it'd be cool. 
we could, that was an outreach into the community. Anybody's church do that? Okay, both of you. Okay, I was showing a movie out into the community, and I would show it, and they would come in, and it's like, one night we had about 50 people there. That's cool. Church only had about 80 as members. But anyway, about 50 people come in, half of those visitors, so we're bringing them in. We'd show a different movie, and I thought, wow, we start a little contemporary service on Sunday night called Stage 2. The main stage was 11 o'clock Sunday morning. I was doing these weird ideas, and the young pastor was going, hey, these are things are great, and our church is so hard to accept some of these stuff. But I was happy. I went on vacation. Come back, he left. He planned a church in northern Virginia. It's like, I'm leaving. Felt like the rug was jerked out, and I thought, those things probably won't change too much. He left, and then one of the leaders of the church, self-appointed, came to me and said, you're still not going to show those movies, are you? Well, I was thinking about it. Why? We're going to put new carpet in the sanctuary, and we really hate for you to show those movies because after all, you know, what if somebody gets in there and spills a drink? We've been showing movies a year, and no one's spilled a drink yet. Yeah, but that carpet. I didn't know whether to punch him in the face then. <laughs> Wait a while or weep. What was the most important thing to him? The carpet. Money and the carpet. I think, but, but see, we're getting visitors from a community and somebody might actually get saved. The one. We're more concerned with the 99. I thought, how sad. I mean, the song that they sing, We've got you rugs in the sanctuary. <laughs> but no one... It's just sad, you know. But no one's coming to the sanctuary. <laughs> In one year, they'd put a new rug, painted the walls, everything looks up. And by the way, what did, what did they do all that for? The 99. the 99. I haven't seen anybody say during two years at this church. We've got to go get some people. What are you doing, trying to change things? Yeah! <laughs> Jesus tried to do that. He was a revolutionary guy. Do you know the, the Jewish law, they start off the Ten Commandments, but then those weren't clear? If something's not clear, do you reduce it or get it bigger? I want to try to make, if you say, I am going home. I, I don't understand. Okay. I home. <laughs> you know, Jesus told his disciples that one time. He said, Lazarus is sleeping. Well, then he'll get up. No, Lazarus is sleeping. <laughs> he is dead. <laughs> now we got you. And Jesus, and that's what the Bible says. John chapter 11. Because they did not understand, and, oh, he'll wake up. Not, not unless I, I nudge him. He's not going, and he had to plainly tell them he's dead. Well, sometimes I like to shrink things down. The Jewish people, they took the Ten Commandments and in no time at all had 714 laws to make them clear. 714 laws. It's called a Talmud. T-A-L-M-U-D. Talmud. And, and the trouble is, what I don't like about these guys, first of all, you've made things complicated. You've made Jesus just shrink back and law be more important. And the dumbest thing is you've defeated the purpose. Let me give you one. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If you just condense that down, what's Jesus really say? Go to church. Go to church. Don't forget me. I just need some time with you. Okay, we got you. They took it as a, remember the Sabbath day. Um, by the way, don't work on it. Um, don't, what considered, by the way, work? Jesus healed somebody one time, and that was work. Wow. Don't pick up a stick. It's work. Some of y'all would like that. Mom, clean your room. I've already had, you know, it's like I picked up a pencil. That was work. Now, according to the Jewish law, you probably did. 
Here's one of the ways they snuck around it. I hated this. They said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And one of the 714 laws was don't travel within maybe like a half a mile of your house. In other words, don't leave the, like the pathway. In our language today, don't leave the sidewalk. Well, here's what these guys do. They would tie a rope at the end of their house, half a mile rope, just let it go down through there, drop it off. That's the sidewalk. We're still going to the house. And they'd pick up what they want and come back by the sidewalk. What they've done is extend their sidewalk 180 feet by just dropping a rope and go. You guys are so strict. You... And then they'd get mad at the disciples. Y'all are not really keeping the law. We're not. Look at what you guys do. The man's paralyzed, Jesus says. Stand up, pick up your bed and walk. Wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't do that. That's, that's the Sabbath. But weren't we supposed to draw attention to God on Sabbath? He can't pick up his mat. Mister, what are you doing? I'm walking. No, you're, you can't do that. And Jesus, so Jesus went, paralyzed him. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He, did, he didn't do that. He went ahead and let him walk. And see, every time a miracle occurred, I would rejoice. I, I got you to read it three times. Rejoice when good things happen. Rejoice. Pharisees come along. What's he doing walking? Way to rejoice, guys. Blind man in John chapter 9. I can't see the disciples automatically. Who sinned, this man or his parents? They just now told you that when somebody has something bad happen, it must be because of what? Sin. Jesus said, wait a minute. Nothing's wrong with this man. You know why he was born blind? So I could have glory. Let me run that by you again. Do you imagine this guy right here if he could really understand, when we pull him apart and say, you're going to be born blind. Before he's ever born, you were able to just talk. I'm going to have you born blind. How come? God wants to use you one day. Oh, man, blind. But God wants to use you. Okay. And he walks through life blind until he's about 38 years old or somewhere through there. And, and Jesus heals him. And you know how he heals him? Jesus got such a good humor. Go get some mud, put it in your eyes. Hey, I can see. <laughs> I think Jesus messes with the Pharisees and here's mud in your eye, right in your eye, literally. And then he goes down and says, wash in the pool of Siloam. So he goes down and washes. By the way, some Bible scholars think he went to the pool to wash because you could pay tithes and you could... In other words, when the good things happen, send him to church. See, Jesus was a good guy. He wants you to go to church. He just didn't like the Pharisees because their heart was rotten. If you took an x-ray of their heart, it would be rotten. Stick it under the thing, doctor goes, hmm. Got a heart right there. I know. Yeah, you see it? Yep. Rotten. <laughs> there it is. See that big jagged piece? Yeah. Ew. It's Pharisees. Let's look at the Sadducees. Ooh, worse. Let's look at the woman at the well, the prostitute that Jesus had to talk to that had five husbands. That looks like her heart's clear and clean. How do you imagine that? Here's a blind man. Heart clear and clean. You and me that have accepted Jesus. His heart was... Something's wrong and now it's good. And it's amazing to me the guys that were so religious are the ones, <clears throat> excuse me, are lost. Pharisees who thought they knew everything, bad. I don't know which category you fit into, but uh, you tell me which one. Check out the facts from this story. We've gotten down to the sun. You say, well, you already told us this story this morning. Now just bear with me. I want to show you something. We found a sheep. We found a lost coin. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father, now again, while I'm reading, please don't let anything distract you. Don't talk to anybody besides say, okay, Edgar is going to show me something. I'm not, God is. 
You show me something I've never seen in this story before. Okay, with blinders on, much like a horse when he's running down the road, you know, like this, to not get distracted. Watch this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And it doesn't say a lot, but I think between estate and so, the next word a lot went on there. Son, are you sure? I mean, it's like, Dad, I want to... Listen, I love you. And I hate for you to... I'm 18. I can go out on my own. i got my motorcycle. I'm leaving. Well, you know, I love you, but I can't stop you. You go ahead. His son takes his inheritance and leaves. As soon as he left, what's the father do? Pray weeps. Goes to his room. You okay? Tears run down his face. Says, God, you've got to bring him back. I miss him already. I love that thought. Ronald Reagan said of his wife, I wish I could always say that. I tell my wife the same thing. Ronald Reagan, they said, how much do you love your wife, Nancy? He says, every time she leaves the room, I, I start missing her. Wow. My son's gone. I miss him. Servants come down the hall. You okay? I guess. <laughs> Just praying for my son again. How often do you pray for lost people? You got a concern for them? How about your brother, sister, cousin, classmates? You really think about those people? I guess, sometimes. I think this father spends much time in prayer. But he let his son go, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, packs that Harley, gets on it, straight down the road, set off for a distant country. I'm tired of this. I wish I had a nickel every time I heard it. I'm glad. I'm going to get away from this. They leave school, you know, when they graduate this year, I ask some of those seniors, where are you going? I'm going to go to Arizona. You know, they're just as far away from Virginia as they can get. I'm going to go to a college in Afghanistan, you know, or whatever like that. <laughs> I liked one boy's answer to me. He said, I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I'm sick of that. I just sort of smile. Teachers, parents, yeah, I'm joining the military. <laughs> yeah, they don't tell you to do anything in the military. They just let you shoot pool, drink a few beers. Everything's cool there. I want to be around when he joins the military. No, I'm just kidding. My brother used to tell me when he was in the Army, they'd get him up at 4 o'clock, mop the floors, do all the yard work. By about 8 o'clock, they were finished for the day. They ate breakfast, they'd already exercised, done all their work, and they were almost bored by 9. Just like you on your summer schedule. Yeah. Army had a slogan, now, we get more work done by 8 o'clock than you do all day. That was, used to be like a little commercial. It's probably true. These guys take off. Well, one takes off. Not long after that, had everything together, set off in a distant country. He's just tired of people telling him what to do. I can just imagine it. But there he squandered his wealth and wild living. That's the way some people do. They take off to college and they just break bad and they're all that in a bag of chips. They just think they know everything. You can't tell them any different. So the father, I, I just sort of get the idea he just lets him go. Does he want to? No. But it's like they probably not argued a little bit, but his dad says, Okay. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine. You know the story. He's out there. He gets a job feeding pigs. And as a Jewish boy, he probably, mm, that's the lowest part you could ever do. I'm feeding swine. I'm a Jew. And I'm feeding pigs that we think are unclean. God's got such a great sense of humor. Only job he can get is feeding the things he hates. Okay, he longed to fill his stomach. Finally, he came to his senses. Jack off the top of the head kind of day. What am I doing feeding pigs? He goes back home. You say, okay, Edgar, you told us all that story. Here's the rest of it. Keep reading. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and a celebration for my son. This son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost. There's her theme and is found. So they began to celebrate their rejoicing. Now, if we stop the story, that's where most of you have heard this story all your life and you think, wow, that's cool. I'm going to show you the other side of this. Hmm. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Where was he? He was out in the field. So I don't know if it went after day after day after week after week. Where's the father? He's in the house. What's he doing? Where's this guy at? Out in the field, not in the house. What's the next thing? What? What's he doing? It's another day to him. Now, maybe I'm reading more into this, and you say, well, Edgar, where'd you get that idea? But I think maybe not. This young son, not the older one, but the younger one that took off on the right that's living, he finally came to his senses and says, I'm going to go back and tell my daddy I'm sorry. And I'm going to tell him, I am a sinner. I, I don't even deserve to be called what? Your son, if you just forgive me. I, I mean, I'll be, I'll be a slave. I'll be a servant. He's humbled himself clear down to there and says, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Just let me back home. And by being humble, the father says, <laughs> hugs his son, tears running down his face. I like this in the fact that it says, while he was still a long, verse um, yeah, 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. How do you think he saw his son coming home? Is his, old, is his older brother looking for him? His father every day. God, this might be the day that my son comes home. Please, Lord. He goes out and looks. It's okay. It'll happen in your time. I'm, I'm faithful. Sure to miss him, though. Next day, same thing. And this day, it's, Lord, it should we be. Wow, my son! <laughs> Jump. Eight-step porch. <laughs> Clears them all. Pretty good for a man 80. And he takes off running. Grabs his son. Daddy, I, Daddy, you're, you're hurting me. You know, it's like, you're home. Tears running down his face. He said, just let me be a slave. No. Get the fattened calf. Kill it. Get the robe and the ring. He gets two words out of his mouth, and he chokes up and he starts crying. You're home. Whew. Wow. Angels in heaven, when this sinner down here on earth goes, Jesus, save me. Angels, yes, high fives in heaven. And Jesus, at the right hand of the throne of the Father, they look at each other. Another one's trusting me. Wow. God even gives God a high five there. <laughs> look at those guys who are responding to me, and he points down to earth. I wonder if there's an angel going. No, there's no angels like that in heaven. Angel over in the corner. Remember that movie, um, Narnia? Remember Edmund? When Lucy's trying to say, you do believe me. He's making a fool out of her. Wow. I don't believe you. He knew the truth, but he didn't want to... Don't you hate it when somebody sort of... Wait a minute. What if you had an angel like that in heaven? We don't have people like that in heaven. we got somebody like that in the story. The other son's out there in the field. Boy, a lot of commotion going on over every day out here in this field pulling the weeds. He's not in the house. Why wouldn't he be in the house? Somebody want to tell me in this whole group right here. Why is he still working? He didn't know. 
I don't think he cares. I know a woman who left this earth, got ready to go. That woman was my mom. Well, where were you? I was holding her hand. And I got ready to see her go, and I thought, Lord, I just don't let this woman... You've saved me, Jesus, but this woman's made me who I am. I'm a mama's boy. And she brought me into this world, and I was seeing her out of it. It was cool. Because they told her when I was born, they said, your son's going to be dead. That's what the doctors told her. She says, I know better. We're just not picking up heartbeat and all this. You've got a high fever. And she says, I know better. Well, I'm just telling you, there's, I know better. I'm going to have a son. He's going to mount the lot one day. That's me. I don't know about the lot, but I owe her. And as I grew up, she said, God's got special plans for you. I didn't know what that meant. Maybe Mama knew stuff before I did. You're going to plant a church at 54. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> she and Jesus were tight. I'm telling you. She'd pray sometimes, and it wasn't no foggy prayer like, Oh, God Almighty. You know, I, you know, people that use every name of God, they must have a book of thesaurus or something of spiritual terms. <laughs> oh, God Almighty, Father, Redeemer of mankind. <laughs> Whether, all those things are true, but how about just... My mom would hold my hand and say, Mom, I, I don't know about this. Let me put this book down. Now, what? See how she loves me? What's the matter? Something's just not right. And I'd fill it in. She'd go, give me a hand. Now, Jesus, we need your help. Harris would start coming up on my arm. I felt like Jesus is in the room right now. Like, when she called on him, what do you need, Irene? Well, Edgar's worried about something. and So I had to see her out. She, she just had faith in me. So I was holding on to her hand. I thought, Lord, I don't want to let her go. He says, I know. And I just felt like I had a three-way conversation going on. I said, Jesus, I don't want to let her go. And she's sleeping now, and but she's hurting. You know that, right? You don't know. I just want to let her. When I let her go, I want things to be perfect. And Jesus says, it's heaven. I guess that's pretty perfect. Would you catch her on that side when I let her go on this side? And he goes, yeah. I said, I just want it to be just right. And he says, it is just right. Well, then the only thing keeping her here is me. And he went. <laughs> like, I said, you mean when I let her go, you'll get her? Okay. I had her hand holding her hand. I went, okay. Let her hand go. Chest didn't rise. He had her. And I went, oh. She didn't even miss a beat. I looked at my sister Melanie. I said, she's gone. And Melanie looked back and went. And I turned and looked at my brothers and I quoted scripture. I said, we are not a people that have no hope. I'll be sooner one day. Just like David said, I'll see my son. I said, I'll see mama one day. So mama, who had a tough time walking after a while, she's up there dancing. She always wanted to swim in pools, so now she's swimming in the crystal sea. <laughs> wow. And you know what? I rejoice. I still miss her. I pick up the phone about half time on a Thursday afternoon and start to call her because that's what time she left this earth. But I rejoice. And Jesus welcomed home a, a mighty saint to me. Wow. I just had to find 30 people to start praying for me to take her place because, man, she could... But I rejoice. I love my mom. You know, I... But I don't love anybody that would say, hmm, doesn't matter to me. I wanted to be by my mom's side when she left. This man right here wanted to be by his son when he came home. 
And by the way, I had a couple of wavered years in my life. And I started to tell mom something one time. I thought, you know what? I, she said, I already know. You do? How come you didn't say anything? What good did that do? It just hurts you. I know you're sorry. Remember that Narnian movie? Remember when the lion came out and he came out and he says, I've already talked to him and everything's fine. So in other words, that was nice. Don't want anybody to rag on him. It's settled. That's the way God is. Don't pick on anybody. It's settled. This man right here, he told the servants, go kill the fatty calf. Isn't that the... Don't talk to my son. He's just now said, I've humbled myself. I'll be scum on the ground. I'll work the pigs here if you want. I'll be anything. Just let me come home. That sounds like a pretty good confession to me. So do I need to go... Now listen, let me tell you where you went wrong. We don't need to do that to him. The man's broken as it is. So he welcomes him in, squeezes the fire out of him, brings him into the house... He walks in and it's like, Dad, what happened in there? It looks like your bed's not even been slept in. Come on, i got to get you something to eat. It hadn't been slept in. He's been pacing the floor and been on his knees for two weeks while his son's gone. Well, where's uh, his brother? Where, where's Harry at? Well, he just goes to work every day. Life's normal for Harry. Wow. Has he ever asked about me? This one, i got to get you something to eat. Come on. Got a bad fattened calf out there we're going to... A lot of commotion at the house. Could go over there. I'll just keep pulling these stinking weeds. Wow, what a great attitude, Harry. Where was he out in the field? He's not in the house consoling his dad. Wouldn't it have been great you go past that and both of them are in there praying like this? The father's got his arm around his other son. How many sons does this man have? Wouldn't you want to go in there and, and be sort of like, Daddy, I know he's gone, but he's coming back. Let me be both sons here until he does. I've I got to help you. Forget you. Do you think the relationship was close? No. I don't even know if he knew his father. He said, well, the Bible said, I, I know, but I'm just saying, I see no relationship that this boy was anywhere close to his dad. Your son, your brother's gone. Let me know when he gets home. Matter of fact, scratch that. I'll be out in the field. I want to be out in the field working, not in the house. What? Working like I always do. What's the next thing? Why do you feel this way? Because I don't think he fully saw this importance. He didn't understand the heart of the Father. I'm going to ask you a question right here. you understand God's heart? The Bible says our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? But if you step in, it's almost like an inner sanction. Pretend like this is a, a huge house, and right here is the front porch. And God, the deeper you get into the house, you go up onto the front porch, and then you go through, and there's a little place inside. Wow! And then it's the next thing. Then, ooh, swimming pool. Indoor, outdoor track. And God, you don't know it, but God says, here's the keys. Enjoy my house before I, you know, I'll go prepare yours. And he comes back and gets us one day like poof, that clip showed. And he comes back and you're sitting on the front porch. Did you check out the house? Uh, I didn't go any further than this. Wow, let me unlock the door and show you. And you walk in there, wow, I didn't even know this is all here. I think that's us. If you understood God's heart, the, Peter, the deeper you go into this house, you're finally back in the back. And you start just wanting to be, wow, I see my daddy's heart. I met Jonathan Falwell a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know Jonathan Falwell real well. I've just, you know, we're not like, hey, we're tight. But, but I'd, I'd met his dad years ago, Jerry Falwell, and when I walked in, I could tell Jonathan it was his dad's birthday. And I don't even know the man, but I just gave him a hug and I said, I know you're hurt today. And he, you know how you hug somebody and you let go? I hugged him and, okay, he's not letting go. Let's go, Jonathan's hurting. Now I'm weeping. You don't know Jonathan Powell, but her hearts, when you hook a heart with somebody, you're great. 
I backed up and I said, I know you miss your dad. So I went over and visited the house where his dad was and I walked through there and they showed his office and he said, we haven't touched it since he left earth. I know where he is. So like my mom, you know. And it was like an eerie feeling. It's like, wow. And for a second there, I could, I could sense his heart. I wonder how many other people just walked through. Yeah, nice office going out the other door. You think of something that's special to you right now at your house. And if you showed it to me, I would think, wow, that must mean a lot to you. If I understand your heart, me, you and I start, we get close friends. Check out this next one. I think this is probably the saddest part of the story. Here we go. Meanwhile, the older son, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Sounds like he doesn't even care. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. <laughs> he came near the house. Music and dancing. They're having a party. So he called one of his servants and asked him. Look at that. He called one of his servants. What would you do? Once you go in the house. Hey, come here. What's going on in the house? <laughs> Haven't you heard? Your brother's come home. That's why I think it's... I saw this story in a different light. This brother is lost. If you go home and say, Mom, I made a decision. I'm a Christian. I asked Jesus to save me. Oh, that's nonsense. Well, don't get mad at your mom, but wow. If that's a reaction, I would wonder if she's saved. If you want to try to get me out of showing movies in the church so you're afraid of the carpet being soiled, Okay. Older son was in the field. He came near the house. Called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother's come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Remember that R word I kept using a minute ago? Y'all remember what it was? Rejoice. Rejoice. I found a sheep. Rejoice. Found a coin. Rejoice. My son comes home. We rejoice. My mom gets to go to heaven. I rejoice. This boy right here, your brother's home. Tell me what the Bible says he did. He got angry. What is wrong with you? Isn't that a weird response? Anybody think it? Is that just me? Your brother's back home. It'd be like you right. Guess what? Grandma's pulled through. She's out of the coma. Dad's out of intensive care. <laughs> what is wrong with you? You know, I just wonder. They're coming forward. I haven't even gotten through yet. <laughs> I'll go ahead and finish for the rest of us. So. Meanwhile, the older son, older brother became angry. He doesn't just stop at being angry. Read that next little line there, somebody tell me. He refused what? I refuse to go in. I want no part of this. Wow. I'm angry. I refuse to go in. Well, you can guess it. The man who's closest to God right here, his dad, his dad goes out to see him. Isn't that amazing? I'm out here. Dad comes down. Whatever you want to call his name. Luke, Jake, you know, Horace. Uh how about, excuse me, angry? I mean, I'm sorry. Um, no, he comes down and says, uh, 
you know. Jake, what's, what's the matter? You, your brother's home. That's what's the matter. I mean, I misunderstood. Your brother's home. Puts his finger out like this and says this. I, I can't believe this. So his father went out and pleaded with him. He answered his father, Look. I can imagine me growing up in the Moser family. The first time I'd have said to Tyree Moser, Look. I'd have been missing this finger and part of my head probably. <laughs> I got look for you right here in this leather strap. You know, my dad wasn't a child abuser. He, he didn't beat me as much as I deserved. I, I respected him. And can you imagine that? He's sitting down there like he's kicking dirt and his dad comes out. What's the matter? Look. I've been here all this time and I've been working in that field and I never get a fat calf. I don't even get a little goat to go out and have a little family, you know, friendship together with my friend. What? Let me translate that in today's term. You give him a gigantic party. I don't even get a peanut butter sandwich to go have a good time with my friends. What are you talking about? Anytime you'd ask, I would have been glad to give it to you. You never what? So don't get up in heaven and on the day you stand before God, whether it's at the great white throne judgment for sinners or whether it's at the judgment seat for Christians, don't you dare go, God, <laughs> we'll look down and brush away your ashes after that. But no, if you say, no, God's pretty patient. You can, because He could have done that a lot of times in our life. But if we say, God, how come you never give me anything? You never ask. You never bless me like... Franklin Graham. That's because his dad, Billy, started a little prayer time with me. And you never do. You never spend time with me. You never learn my heart. I've heard about Jonathan's dad. They said one of the guards around his home, his life was threatened many times. I was there, heard his dad, uh, Jerry, speak one time. And I was at a teacher's convention and I was sitting like this and suddenly I saw... Secret Service come in at every door and two guys, but yeah, we got Top Eagle 3. You know, they were just talking to little mics. It's like, this is scary. And then Dr. Caldwell came out and came to the podium. And that was when his life was being threatened. I didn't even know that. And I told, I was talking to someone who was like one of the security people around his house, and they said, you know, he, his light used to come on at about 5 o'clock in the morning. And he'd start praying. His day didn't really begin until about 7 or 8. You know, when he was going through a lot of trials, he said, yeah, we started watching his light come on at about four. We'd see the light click on in the bedroom and knew he was praying. Anybody here pray from four to eight every morning? All the hands are going up. No, it's not. You don't pray four hours in a week. I don't know if I do. You think Dr. Falwell learned God's heart? Yeah. See, guys, you got to remember, prayer is like a pump. And if you work that pump all the time and... Go do something, come back about an hour later, we're working the pump, the water just flows. That's the prayer pump. And if somebody comes up and says, let's, let's pray for Tiffany. Got it. I already got God on. Yeah, you hey, what is it? Uh, we need to talk to God. I got him on the phone right here. You, you tell him yourself. I just stay in contact with God. Isn't that great? Or are you like one of those kind of people? Uh, uh, pray for so-and-so. God? God says, who are you? I haven't heard. Oh, you. I haven't heard from you for about eight years. <laughs> it's convicting. I played football in high school my senior year, and the coach came out one day and says, All right, pregame meal, let's see. Somebody needs to pray. Moser, would you pray for us? And I was so convicted because I thought, This is going to be the first time I've prayed in a long time. 
That was during my backslidden days. I knew it was saved. I was miserable. And I thought, sure, I'll pray. God? Who? Oh, it's you, Edgar. Hadn't heard from you for a long time. Now, God, it's a good thing he didn't audibly speak that day. I felt hypocritical. God, would you have blessed his food? Amen. You know, one of lengthy prayers. I felt so convicted. I'm doing a little bit better than that now. But you say, can we pray? Sure. Jesus, this person right here, and I'm just in, right in the fellowship. I don't say that to pat me on the back. I want you to be that way. Quit being like this boy right here. He's miserable. He called one of his servants, asked him, hey, what's going on? Dad comes out. He's still angry. He refused to go in. So his father come out, sticks his finger in the dad's face. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. That right there tells me you're not really a son. Slaving? That ball and chain. No, he's not. I never looked at my mom, Irene Moses, and said, Mom, I'm slaving for Mom, can I do anything else for you? I won't talk about her a whole lot because I'll just break and cry, but I tell you. Ooh. She got sick one time when she was in the hospital and turned around about vomiting on the floor. And part of me is like, oh. Then I felt bad for even doing that. You said, well, that wasn't too bad. Yeah, it was. I shouldn't have had that. I thought, oh, I've got to get up again. And I was wiping it up. My mom looked from bed and said, you sure must love me a lot to clean that up. I was hoping she'd throw up again so I could show her that I loved her. Why? I can't do enough for her. I'm not going to complain one second. She, we were at a football game. She's athletic and still likes sports at 75 years old. We're standing at a football game, and they're rising to play the national anthem. And she did it that uh, She leaned forward to me and said, I'm sick. That meant she's going to throw up. That's the Moser signal, right there, okay? And I thought, she's going to throw up, and everybody's going to laugh at her, and i got a plan. I'll stand right here, and she said, I'm sick. And I thought, turn around. I said, put your head right down in front of my coat. I said, you okay? You see, I wanted people to laugh at me and not her. Your jacket looks... Yeah, I got it. When you want to start taking people's place, shows you love them a lot. Guess who took your place? Jesus, I guess I'll die on a cross. No, no, that's my spot. Let me take your place. I didn't vomit on Jesus. He... Took care of all my mistakes. It was much worse than vomit. I piled all my sins on him. So much that his father said, what? I can't look. You can tell I'm a mama's boy. This boy's angry. He doesn't know he's dead. It's like some of us don't quite get as close to God as we like. All these years I've been slaving. You haven't been slaving. You never gave me anything. I can imagine us doing that to God. God, you never answer any prayers. You're still breathing, aren't you? Watch the phrase he uses. But when this son of yours, what could he have said right there, Mr. Pronoun People? When my brother. When my brother, he didn't even want to claim him. When this son of yours, 
So like, you know, when you get in trouble and your mom says, speaks to your dad, this son of yours is out there in trouble. <laughs> she didn't want to claim you. That son of yours is... Isn't he your son too? Not right now. No, it's... Okay. Look, all these years I've been a slave for you. Golly, I feel so sorry for you. Yet you never gave me even a young goat I could celebrate. But when this son of yours comes, I can imagine a sarcasm. But when this son of yours has squandered all your property with prostitutes, comes home, he you know, gets drunk every weekend, you kill the fatted calf and pat him on the back for it. He didn't pat him on the back for sinning. He patted him on the back that he came home and asked forgiveness and said, I gladly bring you back home. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. All you got to do is ask. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. So bottom line, be happy. Okay. Has anybody ever looked at the other brother like that? You've got a father who loves his children, both of them. You've got one who's came back home. This guy's a great Christian. Spiritually, let's compare him. This guy's a solid Christian. He's my mom. You've got somebody that's wandered off and came back home. That was me. I went away and thought, well, I know God got my attention. By the way, who do you think was really instrumental in bringing me back close to God? My mom was in a car wreck. And I came in there and said, Lord, let me take her place. Uh, she's in pain. Mom never knew that. And I have no idea, and it just dawned on me. See, I'm learning as I'm talking. I wonder if my mom said years ago, Edgar's a little bit wayward, wayward from you, and Lord, you just use me however you want to to bring him home. And he puts her in a car wreck. Wouldn't be surprising. I'll ask her when I get to heaven. Probably true. I got back closer to God. And then you got other people that says, they don't get excited when people get saved. They don't even know the Father. Look, they're disrespectful. They're, they're jealous. I don't see any evidence that this boy was saved. You mean, is that, is that you? I don't know. Refused to change. Jealous. He asked a lot of questions. Lack of understanding. Doesn't know the Father. Check out. He's out in the field. Doing what he always does, goes about his merry way. He doesn't care that his brother's lost. Okay. Next thing right here. Seeing the second son. Check out these facts. In a field, working, not caring. When he does, it's disrespectful. I mean, who is this guy? He is who he is. He was himself. Can't hide what you are. Okay, last thing. My friend Max Licato writes this story in a book. Dan Messer considered himself lucky. Most other people would have considered him crazy. He stood within a two-hour hike of the summit of Mount, Far uh, Mount Everest a thousand feet from realizing his lifelong dream of reaching the top is just about to take place now. Every year, the fittest adventurers on earth set their sights on the 29,000-foot peak. Every year, some die in their effort to do that. The top of the Everest is not known for its hospitality. Climbers call the realm between the 26,000 feet and the top the death zone. Temperatures hover below zero. Sudden blizzards steer blinding snow. The atmosphere is oxygen-starved. Corpses dot the mountaintop. A British climber had died ten days prior to Messer's attempt. 
40 climbers who could have helped chose him, have chose to help him, didn't. Because they were on their way to what? The top. And they didn't have time to stop. Sounds like that other son. Hey, you want to come on in and pray for your brother? I don't care if he comes on. No, I'm holding potatoes right now, Dad. Somebody got to work. Drop the work for a second. Your brother could be dying. I don't care. Hey, drop and get this climber. I don't care. Wow. They were so kind. They pass him on the way to the summit. Everest can be cruel. Still, Mazur felt lucky. He and two colleagues were within eyesight of the top. Years of planning, six weeks of climbing, and now on seven, at 7.30 a.m., May 25th, 2006, the air was still, morning sun brilliant, energy and hopes high, and they were going up this snowy slope. And that's when it happened, when a flash of color caught Mazur's eyes. It was a bit of yellow fabric on a ridgetop. He first thought it was a tent, but... No, it's a jacket. He soon saw it was a person. Jacket was laying on the ground. Guess what the person was wearing? A man precariously perched on top of an 8,000-foot razor-edge rock. His gloves were off, jackets unzipped, hands exposed, chest bare. Man, just walking around. Oxygen deprivation can swell the brain cause you to do some crazy things. He's hallucinating right now. Mazur knew the man had no idea where he was, so he walked toward him and he called out, Can you tell me your name? Oh, well, yes, the man answered, sounding pleased. <laughs> I can do that. My name's Lincoln Hall. Mazur was shocked. He recognized his name because 12 hours before when he had heard the news on the radio, here was the news, Lincoln Hall's dead. Lincoln Hall is dead on the mountain. His team left his body on the slope. Obviously, Lincoln Hall isn't dead. And yet, after spending the night in 20 below chill, oxygen stingy air, Lincoln Hall was still alive. Mezzer was face to face with a miracle in the making. But now he had to make a choice. He was also face to face with one of the toughest choices he had to make in his life. A rescue attempt had profound risk. The descent was already treacherous, even more so with the dead weight of a dying man. Besides, how long would Hall survive anyway? Nobody knew. Three climbers might sacrifice Everest for that. We'd just end up killing ourselves. So they had to choose. Do we abandon a dream or do we go get Lincoln Hall? Abandon our dream? Abandon Lincoln? What do you want to do? What do you think Mezzer does? They chose to abandon their dream. They couldn't turn their back on him. The three turned their backs on the peak instead of Lincoln Hall and they inched their way down the mountain. Their decision to save Hall's life steers a great question. What would we do to get people saved? Other brother didn't do anything. The dad prayed all he could. Which one do you do? Set aside your dreams to rescue a person who's lost? I sure hope so. Lincoln Hall survived the trip that day down Mount Everest. Thanks to Dan Mezzer, he lived to be reunited with his wife and sons in New Zealand. Television reporter asked Lincoln's wife what she thought of the rescuers and the men who surrendered their summit to save her husband's life. She tried to answer, but the words stuck in her throat. And after several moments with tear-filled eyes, she said, Well, there's one amazing thing about these people. The world needs more people like them. They're amazing human beings. May we be numbered among those kind of guys. Some of you are. Does it bother you when things go wrong? Would it bother you that your brother or somebody's 
not going to heaven. Would it bother you when that rapture thing, boom, it sounds and people are gone? If I could have just told them about Jesus, you can. And there's some of you who wouldn't even go yourself. So let's take care of you first. If you know Jesus as your Savior, now are you concerned about others around you? So the message has got to get you either lost or found in this room. If you're lost, then I need to get you off the mountain, so to speak. If you're saved, we need to get others off the mountain. So which one applies to you tonight? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that in this simple time of chapel that you've spoken to my heart time again. Lord, you still use my mom to touch my heart. What a saint she was. Lord, I look back now and I wonder how many times she sacrificed so I could have something. And Lord, we know of people that sacrifice to give to others and we hear things like Virginia Tech when they had the, the horrible shootings there, they come up with the slogan, we won't forget, never forget. 9-11 gives us things like, we'll never forget. And Lord, people sacrifice to, to save people on the 9-11 day. People sacrifice at Tech to try to go in and get people. People sacrificed at D-Day on the Normandy beaches years ago. And every time I hear that word sacrifice, it's true. But Lord, there was a hill called Calvary that no greater sacrifice than that. You took on all the sins that we'll ever do on your back. And you even looked up to your father that was so close to you. Your hearts, they're the same heart. He said, Daddy, where are you? And what kind of attitude did you have? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, i got people right here within my voice that may not know you. Please break the, the hold that Satan's got around them. Please even give them attention right now to say, I am, I'm lost. And Jesus would say, it's time to come home like the wayward son. And we'll rejoice. Angels in heaven will rejoice. So Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to hearts even right now. And that's my prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. While you're just sitting there building real quiet, uh, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm just going to play Amazing Grace and let you think. And if you say, I'm that son that has a rotten attitude and I want it to change. I'm the son that's gone and it's time to come home. You say, I'm that dad that well, then if you're that dad, you start praying for the wayward people to come home. You've got to fit in this story somewhere. Remember, he said he's a good shepherd. He's come down over the bank to get some of you. So I pray that you'd come to him. If He touches your heart, you just respond on how you need to. You just pray. If you feel like you're burdened with sins, i got good news for you. There's a man that's got the key to the locks of the chains on you.
If you want to be set free and come home, I invite you to do that. Thank the great news. Your brother's home. Wow. I'd be excited when people come home to Jesus. Just talk to him while he talks to your heart. Showed you a little clip that the rapture is going to occur one day. We're all going to go home. Earth's going to dissolve. Wow. There will be no more earth. It's going to dissolve like snow melting. I definitely want to be with the sun when that happens. He's called here below, just like He is right now. I'll make you an offer. I usually uh, don't even do at camp. I just wait for God to prompt you, but I want to make it easy. I'll be like the father that jumped eight sets of steps and run got his son and said, You're home. Um... I don't want to prolong things, but on the same end, if the Spirit's nudging you, Uncle Paul would be glad to do this. I'll do this. If you're sitting right there and say, I don't even know what to do, and you just sort of raise your hand and say, would you just pray with me? I will come to you and pray. You don't have to come up here. It's not where you are. You just call on Jesus. Thief on the cross said, remember me. Uh, it could be, but I'll come back here and say, dear Jesus, would you just speak to hearts? Will you just help them to release and let go of things? It's time for letting go. In other words, just treat this like your last moment on earth because who knows, it could be. He raptures. What if he raptures this away in five minutes from now? He says, oh, if only... There you go again. I can't promise you the next minute. So if you say, would you pray with me? I'll come to you. You don't have to come up here. If you just say, would you just pray with me? 
Or I'll make it easy for you. Anybody want a prayer right now? Anybody need prayer? Anybody? Just slip your hand up. Might be not be anything. Dear Jesus, I call on you because you're my Savior, and I'm proud to call you that. I remember when I walked forward in an aisle years ago, that wasn't what saved me. And just like walking an aisle here doesn't save people, here's what saves us. That moment in our hearts that we say, Jesus, I need you. I accept you. Would you come into my life? Lord, I think there are people in this room that fit this story. There's people like the Father that lift others up. There's people like the Son that may be away. And there's people like the other Son that could care less. They can't wait for chapel to be over. It's hard for me to believe that there's people that way. But Lord, they're not going to come unless you call them. It's nothing I could say. It's no song we could play. But Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd be long-suffering with them until they decide to care. Lord, nothing can be more important than salvation than selling the fact that we're going to heaven. And yet that's the furthest thing from some people's minds. So Lord, I lift up people like that. It's like the brother in the field. He, he just doesn't see the importance of anything right now. He doesn't have a relationship with the Father and there's people in this room that don't either. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you'd bind the devil's hands. He would ask, he would want nothing better than to keep us away from you. Lord, in the name of the most powerful name on earth, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to hearts and not let anything stop that voice from you getting to them. May you give us the faith to stand and talk to you. Some might not even know what to say. But Lord, you know their heart. That's what saves us. It's just our heart. That moment in our heart, we know that we need you. In a moment, in a second, just like the twinkling of an eye when you take us out of this world, that's how we're saved. In that moment, that split second that we acknowledge you and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm yours. Boom. That's it. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. It's just our point of we look up and say, Jesus, we need you. So, Lord, we give you this service. I ask that you work on people's hearts and just speak to hearts. And, Lord, you just do that because you love them. But you're going to be like the Father in this story. You're not going to go hunt us down badgers. You're just going to make the invitation open. It's almost like we can come home when we finally come to our senses. Thanks for being patient with us when we ignore you so much. Thank you for loving us so much as you do. Couldn't do it any more than you do. So, Lord, thanks for everything. Praise your name. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.